Welcome back, everyone. Maybe we'll just talk and see. We'll see. If um, welcome back. I hope everyone had a good Rosh Hashanah. Um, it's been like a long time. I feel like two weeks on, two weeks off, and it's like it might as well not have happened. Um, so. Judy Kushner? Yeah, it was shocking. Really? That's what she does. I mean, I, yeah, I, I missed it actually. I don't remember what happened. Something happened. But, um, yeah, she's great. Yeah, great. She's always great. Um, okay, so thanks for coming back. Like the, the few, the proud. <laughs> I know, that's what I'm saying. It's like, even I was kind of like, well, it's not nicely because that's what we got after. Um, it's totally homo, it's so true. Um, so yeah, today I wanted to talk about um, Amit's Kalach, which is the piyut, the central piyut of the Avoda in the Nusach Ashkenaz. Um, there's this other, it's sort of like the piyut of Yom Kippur, but it's also sort of everybody mumbles it because it's very complicated and long. So. My goal is to, to look at it and maybe take some time just to sort of get an idea of what it is, how it's structured, so that like next time you're mumbling it, you, some, some things will come back to you. Um, there's another piyut called Otak, Atakonanta, which is sort of the Nisafasvard and Sephardic piyut. There have been other, yeah, I'll talk about that in a second, um, which I'm not going to talk about, but it, it has certain similarities to this, which are very interesting. Um, so... Yeah. Um, right. So the avoda. I guess the first question is, what's the central text of the avoda in our mouth? Right. Right. So these things that sort of like are participatory in some way, right? And like you see, you'll see in the thing I'm about to give you sheet. I guess I could call it not a thing. Um, that there are right. It's in the Mishnah. Right, that they're sort of like they're things that are pulled out, which are sort of they're based on the biblical ritual, but they're the, the words are coming from the Mishnah. And Rabbi Silver talked about this, like how you know in Rosh Hashanah, like the the sort of the backbone of the liturgy is Kesukim that are arranged in Melchior Zichron and Shofar, but in Yom Kippur the backbone of the liturgy is, is instead Torah Shabbat Peh, and he sort of has like a whole idea that that's related to like the idea of Yom Kippur as being Yom Hadin, but like. Yom Kippur, sorry, Rosh Hashanah being Yom Kippur being also a day of like where we actually talk about like tshuva and change and forgiveness, sort of sort of flexibility. Um, I, mean, he, I don't know. I don't want to say his idea because I think he says about it. But um, so that's sort of something first to notice. Um, apparently there were not apparently there were there's sort of like a core for you, which possibly like some of the the words that we see, like sort of the words that we say in big or maybe sort of. Some, some core level. I'm not exactly sure about the history of it. And then there were several kind of putim floating around about the avoda, which the ones we have have similar structure. Um, and eventually, like Nusach Ashkenaz settled on this Amit Koch, which was written by Meshulam Ben Kalanimus, as we will see at the very end, um, who was hello, welcome, um, an Italian python of this Kalanimus family. I haven't given anything out yet. Okay. No problem. Um, which was sort of, they appeared in the Ravandam story, if you guys remember from last time. Like the Kalanus family was sort of like the, a big rabbinic slash liturgical family. So without further ado, let's talk about it. I'm sorry for the way that these photocopies came out. Um, 
I was trying to get things on the same page and I was using two different translations because I wanted to be able to kind of match them up. As you'll see, it's like alphabetical, so I wanted to use the translation from art school, which has the letter of the alphabet at the beginning, just so you can like kind of keep track. Um, this feud is kind of famously obscure. So, <laughs> um, so I guess, I mean, I don't intend to go over all like six pages of this or whatever. And also there's one other problem, which is that I was in the middle of photocopying things and then I did this one wrong, so just skip it, it's, it is elsewhere. Um, and I sort of didn't have time to do the whole thing again because also the photocopier was already thinking about things and I didn't know how to change his thought process. Um, so let's, let's take, everybody take one if we can. And let's, uh, I want to maybe talk a little bit about the first few lines and give you guys a chance, like we've done in the past, to sort of look it over, think about the structure and the themes and like what are the major sections. Um, and then come back together. So, right. everybody can also take. Oh, thank you. Sorry. Everybody can also take it or not. Or I will do it now. Thanks. Sure. So it's the two sides of the first page. Yeah. Well, it's the whole thing. This, so the, as not only is this view obscure, but it's also long. Hence the number. Um. So, are all things on this call? Yes. Oh. Um, right, so I mean, you'll see, right, these, these things that are not really part of the PU get, are kind of thrown in there, they're in bigger print, but as you'll see, it's all one thing. It's going, for example, like it's an acrostic, it's an alphabetical acrostic, and when you get to um, Mem, then you have this kakatu b'toratecha, but like, then you go on to Nun, right? Then you get to v'chachayomer, and then you go back to Tzadi. It's all part of the same alphabet. So it's one PU. Um, it's actually one PU even with... It has, well, we'll talk about the structure. Uh, this is one I read in English because... Yeah. Right, no, it's very, meaning a takonanta, which is sort of like, again, like the alternative to this, which has similar themes, is much more accessible to like, meaning it's still liturgical Hebrew, but it's, you know, this is very hard. This, so that's why we're going to work on the beginning. Um, so in order, just from the first line already, I think in, we'll see some of the same kind of structural issues that we saw with the Yanai period at the very beginning. Uh, which one is it? Oh, Menachazur Bibura. Um, so if we look at Isaiah 40, 26, I'll play the page in a second, just for the first line already, um, which is on page 937. Um, so the Pasuk says, right? To whom will you liken me that I should be equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and see who created these. Um, the person who, the, not person, the one who brings out their host in great numbers. Right? So this idea, Amit Koach, Kabir Verobonim, those words are here, they're sort of put in a different order. Hello. Um, right, so this comes from this pasuk, and again, we, right, what is the context in Yeshaya is about what? Like, sort of, how are we setting up God? Right, God is the creator, God is sort of majestic in the heavens, um, 
And I think but it's not an accident because as we'll see, that's how this piyut starts. First of all, if you were going to start a piyut, write a piyut about the avoda, what would like the major themes be potentially? Right. You would, you would expect a lot about the Kohen Gadol, which we have. Korbanot. Anything else? Questions? The atonement, the whole purpose of the Right, some connection to atonement, maybe other stories that have to do with atonement, maybe you see the Akedah. Um, so what we actually have for the beginning of this is, is sort of interesting in that respect. Um, because, right, we say, Amit Koch Kabir Barabonim, which is a play on this Pasuk, right? A vigorously strong, mighty, abundantly potent one who can duplicate your powerful deeds. Kemas Gvoratecha is also a, it's an allusion to Vatchanan. Devarim 3.12. Hello. Um, which is on page. I will tell you in a second. Sometimes there's time for me to look these things up in advance. But not today, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, thank you. Um, right? Um, is that right? No, but that's not right. It's not 3.12. Right. It's not 312, it's through something else. Um, which pursuit is that? 81. Yeah. The very first, 24. Right, 24, not 12. I don't know how, why I wrote that down wrong. Um, right, right so God, 380, page 381, verse 24, where Moshe is praying to God after B'nai Israel have, like, sort of have sinned. Um, and he says, um, you know, who, can, who is so great as you got it? And again, like, this is sort of a theme of Yom Kippur, right, that even after you've sinned, you can pray and maybe get things changed. Um, sorry, not after you've sinned. Um, right. But in any case, right. Um, no, right, this is Moshe praying about his own sin, not a Bethany I'm sorry, right? He's saying, like, let me, let me come into Israel. And the answer ends up being no, which is also kind of like a foreboding thing to have in Yom Kippur. But in any case, right, I think it's not an accident that the second, right, the first thing is, from this, that God is the majestic creator over everything. And the second thing, the second verse we have alluded to is this idea of praying to God to change your decree, right? Which are sort of two central things of Yom Kippur, potentially. Um, right? Uh, so then we have Omas Aliot, Karita al Karim, right? Um, you roof the mighty heavens over cool waters, Afyasana Tatevel al Blima, right? You even, like, founded the earth over. Um, on nothingness, right? Tola Aras Alblima, we have in another piece, right? God like hangs the world over nothingness. Um, right, so this is, at this point, this sounds like it could just be a description of like how great God is, right? But then we're actually going to go more into that, in that direction. We're not just going to be like, God is so great and we have these korbanot somehow. Like, there's a, there's a long interlude here. Biyot olam choshech v'tzalmavet ve'ifa, right? When the world was sort of dark and chaotic, the ma'atel or boker higata, right? You donned your garment of light, which is also an allusion to Pasuk Ote Orka Salma, um, which is Psalm 104.2. Um, right? You, when the world was all dark, you got put light into it, right? So what are we talking about now? Right, so this is the first day of creation. The whole period of history. Right. And so we'll, one thing to think about as you're going into it is sort of what, what parts of history are and are not here. Um, so I guess maybe on that note, we'll go... Is that right? Okay. Oh, I'm, just, I'm totally confused. I'm sorry. I'm operating on, like, not the right amount of sleep. Um, so maybe now we'll go and sort of start to look at the PU. 
I would say use Hebrew and English as you wish, but like don't feel bad about. I mean, the Hebrew is very is sort of dense, so try and cover some amount of ground. What I'm planning to talk about is basically through. I'm going to try and talk through um, sort of just, just sort of the first page of here almost. Um, so I guess here's the questions, right? What are the themes? What are, what's the structure of the pewd again? Sort of like where does it switch from theme to theme? And what's the poetic structure? Meaning, do we see how, how is it? How does it work? Building blocks wise, you know, like we see it's an olive bed. Is, is there anything else that happens? Um, and you can keep looking through all the stuff that's sort of in this somewhat smaller print is the same pewd. It continues on after Mechachayomer and all of that stuff um, until the very last page where it has it's, set, it's laid out in a different way, but it's still the same pewd. If you have time to look at that, you'll see what it is, why it's like that. Um, so that's what I, yeah, let's do that. I know this is sort of a big undertaking, perhaps, um, but let's try and like see how far we get in 20 minutes. Fair? Oh, so let's, perhaps, I, with your neighbor or otherwise, um, try and look at, either in Hebrew or in English, but like, please do not like break your teeth too much on the Hebrew because it's difficult, sort of, read through what's going on, right? You, you can tell that we're in this particular PU when it has the letters in the front, because that's sort of what it is, but you can see also how the other parts are situated within it. Um, and figure out sort of like, I'll try it down. Do I have markers here? No. So I won't write it down. Um, I'll get them afterwards, right? The sort of the themes of the PU, the structure, and how, and sort of the, the poetic structure, meaning like, it's laid out according to the alphabet. Okay, is there anything else that we notice in terms of patterns? There's a point where it stops being laid out, out according to the alphabet. What, what's going on there? Um, Fair? No, I was just thinking that it reminds me a little bit of the Arami Ovedovi Declaration, where instead of just coming and saying, here are my first fruits, thank you, we have to go all the way back in history. So like, until right. it gets to the Levy and then the Kohen, right. it goes through all this history of the world and the humanity. Right. So one of the questions is why? I mean, what, what, is, like, what is that? What is, how does that situate the whole idea of the Avoda for us that we like start with this extensive history? I'm going to get a marker and I'll be back. And you are encouraged to learn with each other. Um, also, it's a good suggestion to number pages, so I, I just did that for myself. You're welcome to do that for yourself as well. One, two, three, four. Um, and I skipped this page because as discussed, it's not useful. Um, so, so which is two behind? Two is behind, yeah. Um, so I guess, first of all, what, yeah, what, Themes that, I think the themes in the structure of like the Gadol go hand in hand here. Um, so what are, what are the sort of, what's the basic structure here? The theme structure and sort of the poetic structure. Yeah. Is it possible that some of this is missing in the base, the left base, and the beginning of the Because if you look at the English, there are parts in the English that there's no... Oh, there should be another line of that. Because there, no. Yeah, there's a bed and a gibble missing. I'm really sorry about that. Oh, okay. You're so right. Because there's two of everything. I don't know how that happened. 
is what happens when you make things the old-fashioned way. Um, well, it happens when you make things not the old-fashioned way as well. Um, right, so the next line is, Right, that God kind of like separated the waters. Um, so that they wouldn't cover up the earth again. Um, right, then you like uncover the, the land, I guess. Is that how they translate it? Um, right, uncover the land and made vegetation flourish. Um, actually, we talk about that line, right, which is sort of interesting because it comes from the other creation story. Um, but we'll talk about that in a second. Um, writ large, what's the structure of a piece? How many sections? Interactive, narrative, interactive. Right, okay. Comic so history, interactive, narrative. Right. So, first of all, we have this. I'm going to call it the cosmic history. These chairs are making my handwriting even better. Um, mm-hmm. Right, so you have the cosmic history, and you kind of start very big. And what's it doing? Gets you to the cosmic Right, it gets you, like, I feel like it's kind of a funnel. Um, Right, like you're starting with like heaven and earth and whatever, um, and you're getting to you're getting to Levi, but Levi kind of morphs into the Kohen Gadol, right? It's not like getting you to Abraham or Moshe or like the usual points that you might be trying to get. You're getting to the Kohen, right? Right, and then then it sort of stands out again because it goes into great detail about the right. Of then the like the right, the fulcrum here is like pretty big. Um, and it's Avodah, right, which is, right, the second section, the Avodah, this is the part that's really based on the Mishnah, um, and so not everything in the Mishnah is here, but, right, it's, and it's also, right, it's based on the Mishnah, but it's not just about learning, it's also sort of reenacting. Um, my friends, it's like this whole discussion about nursing and, and pregnancy and kipper and fasting. And somebody I know, a family friend is also a rabbi, he said that like when his wife was pregnant, in order for her to fast, he like watched the kids all day and he's like, we didn't, we didn't make these shows because they were too little, but we reenacted the avoda with stuffed animals. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine doing that, but like, right, that's what it is, right? It's like, you're, supposed to, you're not just reading about it, it's not just like, you know, sometimes these two team are ways of reminding people of halachot. We have this mirror like that. It's also like it's getting you into it. And in some ways, like, the piyut itself is about the halachot, but this other layer that's in there, or maybe like a pre-existing piyut that's really lifted from the the Mishnah, mostly is, is sort of a reenactment. And then what happens at the end? Uplifting conclusion. Okay. Can we describe it? How else can we describe it? I mean, yes, it is an uplifting conclusion. What's it about? Why are we uplifted? I saw somebody here for the say celebration. They call it the celebration, um, right? Um, and it's talking sort of. It starts with talking about like on the the Yom Kippur and the Beit Hamikdash, and it's segues into the future, right? Sort of like in some ways, it feels like it gets back to like the cosmic level of like we're getting back to sort of like the the ultimate. Forgiveness, some sort of alter redemption, not like our year by year situation. So that I, that's why I kind of feel like in some ways this goes back out like this, sort of like. Um, but you can take or leave that as you wish. Um, so 
So structurally, in terms of like the the, the, the mechanics of the poetry, how does, does it how does it work with this? two of each letter, but then it's not totally consistent, and sometimes it goes to four, and it, it gets longer. By the end, the tufts are like eight or ten lines. Um, yeah, that's true. Well, I think that, I mean, the tuft can be long, but it's like it's the last one, you have to stick everything in it. No. Um, oh, Tsai is also long. Yeah, of course it's long, but it gets longer. Right, so right here, it starts to get longer. Right, which is that I guess another sauna. So three sonnets are thin, right? Thin. Right. So what did you just write? Um, on page two. We right, it, it changes the pattern from two of every letter to as the sonnet line semafia, whatever. Semes save samar siach, except siach is not actually spelled as the sonnet, that's the point. Sin, but we see even in the Torah that sin and samach are interchangeable in alphabetical and brassics. Um, so good. Um, right, and then we have two eyes, but then, I mean, yeah, it seems like they get longer as it gets more detailed almost, right? Like, it's, this is a very sparse history. Like, every, every half of a line is sort of like many chapters in Tanakh, and then here, like, much more detailed and sort of reflected in the way that the structure gets stretched out. Um, and then what happens over here? Mm-hmm. Other than empty vowels, it loses the alphabetical. It loses, well, it loses the alphabetical, but it has an acrostic. It's not, first of all, it's not couplets or whatever you would call that. It's Michelle and Ben, okay. Michelle and Bey, Rabbi, Colon, Right, and again, you have the sip instead of the stomach, right? And then you have. Right, so this is his name, Necrostic, which is sort of a totally separate section. So I think it's kind of interesting that the poetic changes reflect the thematic changes. Um, so that's like the general movement here, right? Um, what I want to do, I think, is focus on the first part, um, sort of see like how we tell this history. Um, partly because I think, for me at least, and I don't know for you guys. Um, right, like the avoda itself, like we can figure out like how it's mapping onto the the Mishnayot. It's not necessarily going to, it's not going to help us necessarily figure out like well what is it about, right? But whereas you figure out like how is the Python situating the avoda in the context of like human history, maybe that will help us figure out what are we supposed to be thinking the avoda is for. Um, so fine. So we have a mitzvah right? What we read. Um, then I went on to read. Um, Right, this line that I accidentally left off, which I'm very sorry about in English, is right, you planted a garden in the east. Right, so what we have basically is one line for each day of creation from the first chapter of Genesis. Right, what I thought was interesting was this Gan Mikedem Tata, right, you planted a garden in the east, is, it's a reference to Genesis 2 something, 2 to 8, right, um, but you tell, like, God planted a garden in the east, right. Um, so first of all, it's really interesting that the idea that like, well, in the first creation story, it says that the plants were created on the third day, so therefore this like planting of the garden must have happened on that day. I'm not sure I'm familiar with that idea from other places. It's kind of an interesting like way to sort of harmonize the two. But also, um, it's interesting because it gets to a theme that we're going to see in a few other lines of this idea of sort of what was sort of planted in the creation as a reward for the good people later, right? So in some ways, right, Gan Eden is there. It's already saying like. From the very beginning of creation, there was a reward for, people, for the people who are going to be close to God. Um, 
which we see again with like the Leviathan, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, anyways, right. Yeah. I think it also sets up the ideal world and then it gets messed up. Right. right. Very Basically, like, like as soon as people are introduced. Sin, a kind of sin and but, right. But it starts out with how everything was prepared perfectly. Right. And it's not just prepared, but it's prepared for people perfectly. Right. Right. As we see, right, like, got, like the, the meal of the righteous people is prepared, the life's prepared, right? Like, and then as soon as the per- people enter the stage here, they're like, it's all, they mess it up. And that's sort of what this fulcrum is supposed to be about, is right. to switch that. Um, yeah. Thank you. Um, okay. So, right, you place the big lights in the rakia and also all of their hosts. Um, right, that's one line, that's the fourth day of creation. Right, um, this is the first dollar. When you fashion from waters an abundance of swimming fish and flying fowl. So, right, sachim, like things that swim and things that fly. Dimyon bariach lecharet yoshveganim. Lecherach, sorry. Right, so this line I wanted to unpack a little bit. Dimyon bariach means... Bariach is a type of snake. Dimyon Bariach means the thing that is like a snake. Lekeirat, for the pot of Yoshve Ganim, the ones who sit in the gardens. Okay. So any, anything here resonate with anything else? Who are Yoshve Ganim, first of all? Yeah, right. Why would we call them Yoshve Ganim? Right, so Ganadin. Also, there's a pasuk in Shir Shirim, Hayoshevet Baganim, Chavirim Meshkshivim Lekolei Chashmini, right, which is understood. It's actually, this is kind of interesting, right? These, there's a few things going on here. First of all, let's look at, before I give you this, um, Isaiah 27, 1. Um, On page 902. Um, this is actually talking about some sort of like future cosmological battle, which is interesting. Right. On that day, the Lord will punish with his great, cruel, mighty sword, Leviathan, the elusive serpent. Okay. Um, and Leviathan, the twisting serpent, meaning of Hebrew and serpent, I think it's going to say down at the bottom. Um, right. Uh, but Nachash Bariach is a reference to Leviathan in Isaiah. So instead of when he wants to say Leviathan, he uses this sort of description here. So you have to know that. Um, the other thing that you might... Right, so... When you say here, Here, so the Python in the line about Dimyon Bariach, which I have cleverly left off for you, I think. No, no I didn't. It is here. Dimyon Bariach Lecherat Yoshveganim on page... Yeah. Okay, I see. Thank you. Um, sure. So, right, he has, right, he's using this phrase, Dimyon Briach, first of all, because it has to be in the Dalit section, but I'm sure he could have solved that problem, right, to, to stand in for Leviathan. And then he's saying it's going to be fed to the people who sit in the garden, the Garden of Torah, um, which is also a reference to Shir Shir. So there's two psukim at play here, um, but what we will see in a second, right, everybody can take one of these things. Um, thing, geez. Um, if that's okay. 
Thank you. Um, that these two psukim have met before. Let's see, uh, point. So there's this Gemara in Baba Bakr, which has a, sort of in the middle of a longer discussion about the Leviathan and various things that happen with it. Um, so, Amarava Amarabi Yochanan. Sorry, there's a missing space there. Atid HaKadosh Baruch Hu Lasotsu Dala Tadikim Yivsarosh Aliviyatan. Right? God is going to, Rava said in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, God is going to make a festive meal for the righteous people from the meat of the Leviathan. This is sort of a trope that we may be familiar with from elsewhere. Um, Shana Amar. So what's the, the proof? Yichru Alav Chaverim. Right? They will... Yichru alav. And what does kara mean here? Ain kara ala suuda. Kara must be some sort of a festive meal. Shene amar. Vayichru alahem kara gedola. Vayichlu vayishtu vayin. Vayichlu vayishtu. Right? That in Malachim Bet, in Malachim Bet, this verse, this same word is used to mean a big suuda. Vayin chavirim ela talmidei chachamim. When the Pasuk in Eov said, Chavirim, it must mean Tamidei Chachamim. How do we know that? Shne'amar ha'yoshevet baganim chavirim makshivim l'kolei chashmi'ini. Right? Because this Pasuk in Shir Shirim, it's interesting because the Pasuk in Shir Shirim also doesn't say specifically that it's talking about Tamidei Chachamim, but we know from you know, our other interpretations of Shir Shirim that it must be. Um, right? So we have this Pasuk in Eov that says that somebody is going to eat the Leviathan, um, the Chavirim are going to eat are going to something, something, right? Then we say, well, what they're going to do is eat it, and who they are is the Sadiqim. And then, right, the two proof texts from here, in some ways, um, not the two proof texts, but like, this idea of like Hayoshevat Baganim being tied to the eating of the Leviathan is, shows up here again in our pute, right? I guess that's what I'm trying to say. But it's not by accident that he chooses this way to refer to the Sadiqim who are going to eat the Leviathan, because that's sort of the way the Pasuk by which it's the other half of the pasuk by which they're referred to here, right? This pasuk is being is being used to show that chaverim means the tzaddikim who are going to eat the leviathan, but the chaverim are also described as yeshvegadim, so he's sort of picking that part and bringing it here. Um, that was also sort of a roundabout way of saying, right, that it's not just right. The building blocks here, similar to what we saw with the yanipi, right? The building blocks of each line can be biblical allusions or rabbinic allusions. Um, but the choice of which biblical verses to allude to is also determined by like what's been said about them before, right? How they've been connected before. Um, that makes sense. So it's interesting that the tzaddikim are going to be eating this leviathan, this serpent-like creature, when it was the serpent, the nachash, that was involved in the hate of eating from Right. Well, it's called the tanin in the in the Breshit account, but I mean, right? It is interesting because at the very least, the right the Yeshayahu calls it an achash, and the Paitan is choosing to allude to that verse that calls it an achash, right? So I mean, maybe it is, maybe there's something there about like the ultimate victory over the over the evil inclination. Um, yeah. No, that's an interesting point. Thank you. Um, okay. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna keep reading for a bit. Um, Right, so then Jebukat Regavim Hotziah Ramshim Veshoafim, the sticky clods of earth, they translated it, brought forth these creepy crawly things, um, and beasts. Dar Kaneh Uvitzala Ruchat Kuecha. So the bull that dwells in the reeds and swamp will be the repast of your invited righteousness. This is the Shor Habor, um, which is like another one of these sort of mythic animals that's supposed to be fed to the Tzadikim later. Um, right? Um, Hechantav tevach umesach, v'soed ayin, 
you prepared meat and wine, but there was no one to feast. Meaning all of this stuff, and specifically these animals, are there to be eaten, but nobody has come to eat them yet. Which is interesting, right? Because in Gan Eden, they like, they're not eating the animals, right? So already this whole focus on like eating the things that are being created, like, like, you know, killing and eating, is so maybe sort of setting us up for the sacrificial thing that's going to come. Um, right, but so Adayin is sort of like, this is all for people, right, like, now it's supposed to be like the grand entrance of the person who's going to make everything right, right. He crossed a golem, mechomer, so then you created this, you know, golem, um, whatever, um, you know, it's a, a, a bunch, but it's sort of probably also related to the idea of like a, you know, making something out of earth, making a person out of earth, mechomer, right, tabnit chotamcha, it's probably a reference to the idea that betalmenu kidmutenu means could mean our mold, right? There's an interpretation that betalmenu kidmutenu means not our telemelokim means not God's image, like looking like God, but God's image, like the thing that God uses to make things, um, God's mold, as it were. So I would, it seems to me that betavnik chotamcha is that alluding to that idea. Can, can I go back to yeah. what you said before? In the Bracia text, when it says the Adam Ayin Lavod Et Adamah, it also talks about God, but that man was not yet there, but for a totally different thing, and they've just completely rewritten that. It's not that Adam right. wasn't there, Lavod Et Adamah, and there were things growing, and, but it was like Adam wasn't there to partake of this Right. No, it's very interesting, right? As opposed to being the servant, Adam is like the consumer. Um, yeah, it is interesting. Thank you. Um, so God, right, like, he blew into Adam some sort of, like, a pure breath. Um, and then he was put to sleep and he got this uh, help me from his side, um, which is also, again, from the second creation story, but they're sort of being put together here. Um, and you commanded him not to take anything from the tree of knowledge. right? And then this is sort of like, oh, right? This is like, now he's going to have this succession of sins. Right? He, um, how do they translate it? This is like a, he defy? Defy, that's correct, right. Um, or he like, yeah, he undid it in some way. The commandment, um, easily this is also kind of interesting right he was he was sort of seduced by the zochel is like the slithery one who of course is not yet slithery at this point in the story but um he's maybe sort of like figuratively slithery um and he was punished with with anger to have to sort of work for his portion basically to sort of have to work difficultly for his portion um, how did they say? With earning sustenance by the sweat of his brow. But those words are not actually like appear here. Be evelet. Right. It says that in the pasuk, but it doesn't say sweat of the. Meaning this is translating sweat of the brow in this line, which I don't see. Um, oh, bezeata. Sorry, bunash bezeata. Um, right, but that he should bring it out with the own sweat of his brow. I was reading that wrong. I'm sorry. The evelet, which is whom? Right. Eve, the, the rebellious one, but Tzirim, she was punished with labor pains. The Arum, the snake, the devious serpent, Afar Lachmo, that he would eat dust, right? So everybody got their punishment. Meanwhile, Chava has conceived. And she gave birth to a farmer and a shepherd. Um, they both brought you a sacrifice. 
Zaamta barav v'shata t'shirat zayir. You didn't like the older one and you accepted the younger one. Chenal rechamav shichet barav ach. And he sort of suppressed his own mercy and killed his brother. Chilap hanecha v'samta lo'od. But then he prayed to you and he got this sign. Right? So first of all, I mean, this is sort of, first of all, it's like this whole catalog of missteps. But it's also kind of interesting. Um, first of all, like the first, um, the first sacrifice is already here. Um, the idea of praying and getting something changed is here. Um, meaning that doesn't have that didn't have to be here. This whole idea of the oath is not part of the progression of history necessarily. But like the idea that he was supposed to be killed and then he wasn't potentially is is interesting. Um, right. So then the third. The third generation here is what it means. Began They began to call your name to idols. So this is what who's that talking about? Well, here it might say on the side. Right, it's talking about Enosh, which is if you look at Genesis four twenty six. Um, that we'll see where this word halu comes from. Right, exactly. Which is there are two ways of understanding it. Right, um, right, so we have the story of like, um, right, kind of Hevel, and then these, these generations. Um, right, so then Seth has a son, she called him Enosh, then it began, right, so here it's translated, it was then that men began to invoke the Lord by name. Right, which is how the Pashtunim translated also. Right, that is when people began to call out to God. Um, right, Huchal means began. So here we have also Chalu Shalishim Kurobishim Chal. Right, they began. Um, but the rabbinic interpretation is different than that. Asub Chali Kurobishim Hashem means they began to call things God that were not God. Right, that's what you find in Rashi, and that's what it's being here. They began to call by your name, God, these other things that are not God, idols, essentially. Well, not essentially, actually. Um, right. right, so you call the flowing waters and they wipe them out. Um, so the, um, the arrogant people tried to uh, snarl at you. They, they snarled, go away to you, God. Um, no, I'm sorry, we're not talking about the generation of the, the Tower of Babel. Yeah. So they were sort of like destroyed. No, uh, yeah, this is no. Right. But the person who was in the gopher wood ark was um, saved when you, God, closed the door for him, which is, appears in the story of Noah. And then Noah's descendants sort of multiplied and filled the world. Yeah, but they sort of plotted together to go up to the heavens. So they were um, like straw, they were scattered in a violent wind and tempest. Which is kind of interesting also, because that's like... It's not, meaning, that is a metaphor for what we have in the Torah. It is not what just actually happens in the Torah. Um, but that's okay. Metaphors are allowed. Um... And now we have, now we get to sort of like the patriarchs. Right? Um, yes, sorry. Right? 
the beloved Abraham, right? Yedid atoy ever yid achab olam. Yid achab olam is made you known in the world. Yedid atoy ever. Avraham is the Ivory. Um, beloved Abraham came from across the river, they say. Um, right? So yedid, like the Avraham is the beloved, the friend of God in some way. Atoy ever, who came from across the river, yid achab olam made you known in the world. Yechum zikunas he'elalacha lechalil, and he even brought the the child of his sort of like the the warming thing, the child of his old age to you for an, an offering, which ended up not happening, of course, but that's Akira Yitzchak. Interesting, that's the only mention of Yitzchak here, right? Yitzchak doesn't have his own line, right? Like, all these different people have lines. Yitzchak doesn't have a line, which is sort of funny because we're like on Yom Kippur and we're talking about sacrifices. Um, instead, what we have next is Keset Hamim, we're on the last line of page one, Keset Hamim Bukhar Ishtam, right? Like a pure... I was really expecting this to be like, like a pure sheep, Yitzchak was offered up or whatever, but it's not. We're talking about Ishtam now. We're talking about Yaakov. And this, it's sort of an interesting image for Yaakov. Yaakov is like some sort of a pure sacrifice. Like, that's sort of unusual. Um, right, he was Ishtam Yoshevo Halim. Um, and this, this is also an allusion to the idea that he went to study in Yeshiva Shem Ba'eber. Um, and he was sort of drawn after you. Kosher Chanitei Yof. Right. From him, everybody, all his descendants were good. This is sort of an idea that, like, you know, there were but Yaakov was worried that, like, you know, every, everybody so far has had one bad son and one good son. What if one of my sons is bad also? And God says, no, 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 all your sons are good. The children sort of reassure him, God reassures him that, like, all your children are good. Um, and it's kind of interesting here, right? Because despite that, right? Despite the fact that like all the children are good, we're actually not stopping the story. There, right? Like there's an alternative funnel shape here where like you keep on nar- it keeps narrowing down, narrowing down, like Abraham, and then you sort of you call out Ishmael, you call out Esav, and then by the time you get to Yaakov, then the, so the funnel starts to get bigger again, and you're talking about Am Yisrael, and you're going down to Mitzrayim, and then you're having Matan Torah, whatever. That none of that is here, right? Instead, we keep going even further, even after we say, okay, all of the, all of Yaakov's sons are holy, but really one of them is the only one we're interested in, which is Levi. Right. Um, right. Right. You want Levi to be like your pious one who to be the one who serves you. Right. To separate out from his line. Right. It's not even Levi himself. It's from his line. Right. Aaron and his descendants, the Kodesh Kodeshim people. Um, to wear the holy these holy garments. Right. To sit like all the splendor inside for seven days. So what is that referring to? Um, sort of, but indirectly. Or the Kohen had to be isolated for seven days. Right, so this is the first Mishnah in Yoma, which you can see on your sheet in Source 2. Um, but we have now arrived at like the circle part of this picture, right? Part 2, essentially, right? This is the first Mishnah in Yoma, and now we're going to go through all the things that happen in Yoma. But the first Mishnah in Yoma is seven days before Yom Kippurim. They separate the Kohen Gadol um, so that, you know, basically in case somebody, so that he won't be with somebody who dies and whatever, basically to keep him pure. Because Tumat may take seven days to get out of, so you have to take him away seven days before to make sure that he's not Tamei Mate by the time Yom Kippur comes around. Um, right, so Kichudak Nima. Maybe sounds familiar to any of us. Right. Kol Kibudavat Melch which is a line from, where is it? 
Psalm 45:14, um, which is on page something. I mean, it's sort of tangential, but that's okay. We can cut it. Um, I mean, this is. This verse is often right. It's often t- used to talk about. I mean, even in the Gemara, this is not like some modern invention. It, talk, it is given as a reason why women shouldn't do things in public, right? Women shouldn't do things in public because all the glory of the king's daughter is within. Um, the shot of Psalm 45 is not exactly that. Fourteen. Um, uh, Great. Thank you. Right. So we're describing like these wealthy people, and we're saying basically like they're so they have so much stuff that like all the glory of the king's the, the king's daughter is there. Panima meaning like the glory of the king's daughter is inside of their houses, not inside of herself. Right. The point is they have a lot of fancy stuff. Not that like women are private, but whatever drushes can say whatever they want. Um, Right, so it's sort of interesting because here, here it's, it's more along that meaning of the verse where like Aharon is inside with all the fancy stuff sort of like remaining private, secluded from the outside. It's sort of both meanings, right? He's in with all like sort of the beautiful things that make me drash with the holy things and he's remaining private from the outside world. Um, this sounded to me like there must be a midrash and it could be that there is, I just didn't find it. Um, there's a midrash tanchuma that uses this pasuk to talk about Moshe. So I didn't bring for you, but... Um, where it talks about, you know, before in the desert, God would speak to Moshe anywhere, and after the Oham away, God said, well, let's be a little more tanua, and God would only speak to Moshe in the Oham away, and it quotes this basuk of Kokhu Daba Melech Panima. So, at the very least, there's something like that going on here with Aaron, where it's sort of like the, the location of the relationship between God and Israel is being put into the Beit Mikdash as a sort of, sort of, some, some sort of form of privacy. Um, kind of interesting. Um, in any case, right, so this seven day thing brings us to the first Mishnah in Yoma. Um, right, so what I said when, about the Asari Yimei Tshuva, kind of, I mean, if you, th- if you think about it, the seven days has to start right after Rosh Hashanah, so it's like, it's kind of like the Asari Yimei Tshuva, and it is also like a preparatory period for Yom Kippur, but it's not, I mean, it's not an accident. There's a whole, just, like, this was just in Yom just relatively recently in Def Yomi, and I learned Def Yomi like once every five days, so I happen to know some of this discussion. Um, meaning I don't actually learn Def Yomi. <coughs> but, um, Right, there's a whole discussion of like why at the beginning of Yom of like well where does the seven day thing come from and like are we really concerned about him, people dying and why does it have to be secluded and whatever I mean and it seems like there's a push to there's two there's two opinions and one of the opinions is basically that like I for, I'm forgetting it exactly but basically that like actually there is like an there it's not just that like this sort of lest he become impure thing but that that's sort of in some ways a shell for like trying to prepare him and it's supposed to be like you know, a seven-day preparation process like the, oh, this is like the Milu'im of the Kohanim who were sort of brought into the Mishkan for seven days before they were allowed to serve. Um, so, right, so like the Kohen Gadol, right, that's sort of what he's doing. He's prepa- it's not just that he's sort of being protected from outside influence, but he's supposed to be actively preparing himself to do um, the Avodah. Um, yeah? I actually think that first reference about Leshev Kefutah Yamim Shiva refers to the to the Mishkan and the fact that Aaron, when Aaron was first chosen, oh, interesting. at the Urubitumim, right, it says, 
Lukshore Nazar Kodesh Balatolurim. That was the first time that was was in in the Mishkan, and then it says Machzike Amanashavua Kodem Lasor. Like that's a there was a seven day. No, you're totally right, actually. Thank you. You're totally right. Um, but it's right. interesting because it also ties into, I mean, I'm just looking at by Yikra Chet, but it says, Umi Petach Olamot Lotetsu Shibat Yemim Adyom Olam Yemim Uwechem, Kasher Sar Bayehazet Sivashem Lasta Bechakera Lechem. Right. Right. And then right. it says again, Petach Olamot Teshu Yomam Olam Shibat Yemim. Maybe that's a form of Kapara. Yeah, no, that's great. Thank you. No, you're totally right. Right. So they say it's not actually about this seven day separation because that's in the next line. Though again, right, it's putting them so maybe it's putting them together even because of this connection in the Gemara and Yoma of like that Aaron becomes a Kohen for the first time, right? The whole institution institution of Kahuna is founded by him, sort of him and his sons, doing this sort of seven day preparation process and then in some ways we reenact that every year where he the Kohen Gadol becomes sort of ready to do the Avoda by reenacting the seven day process. Um, right, so Machzikei Amanashavu Akodem Lasor. So the people, the, the people who will hold on to the faith, now they separate the new Kohen Gadol. Right, we sort of slipped effort. Like all, we've been using the same pronoun, and it's shifted from referring to Levi to referring to Aaron to referring to the Kohen Gadol of any generation. Right, which is kind of interesting. Um, right, Machzikei Amana refers to the sages. Right, so this sort of gets into a theme. Maybe we'll look a little bit at the, the first mission the first chapter in Yoma, right? there's this whole theme throughout Yoma of like the, the rabbinic sages are trying to make sure that the Kohen Gadol does the right thing because the Tzedukim are always there trying to make sure the Kohen Gadol does the wrong thing and like the, the temple is sort of a big center of Tzedukim power but the way the rabbis tell the story, at least by the time of the Mishnah, like they were really in charge and they were telling the Kohen Gadol what to do but like they had to be really careful because like you know you never knew who was going to try and sabotage it. Um, so that's why it's been talking here about Machzikei Amana, right? The people who were really faithful to the tradition were sort of preventing sabotage by they separated him, they taught him all the laws of sort of their version. Marfushin Kohen Arosh Kedat HaMiluim, right? It even says here explicitly that it's connecting it to the Miluim, like the seven day thing. Um, and they spray on him, they, they, they make sure he's Tahor, um, and they show him how to do all the stuff. Did we talk about when uh, No, that's a good point. <laughs> So we're talking about Bayit Shani. This is, I mean, I think that there are like, there may be Rishonim who say that these things were written in the time of the Mishnah, but like, I mean, it's just not true as far as I know, right? Like, Mishulam ben Kohen is a known person, and he lived in like ninth or tenth century Italy. Um, I mean, it's a very early Rishon, but like a Rishon no less. Is it possible that he sort of codified what had already been? Yeah. Like a folktale that he been put into a more formalized... No, I mean, I think, right, the source for what was happening, I think there, there are a few places, I mean, this is sort of like above my level of detailed understanding of the Avoda, um, there are some places where, like, what he says is slightly different than what the Rishonim, other Rishonim may say, think is like the Halacha from the Gemara and Yoma, but, I mean, yeah, first of all, he's working with the Mishnah and Yoma in terms of a report of what happened. Second of all, it's, there, it's pretty clear that there were other Pew team, and I think we even have some of them, for this section of the davening, which included similar details. So, like, yeah, he could. I don't know if he was building off it word for word, but certainly in terms of thematics, yes, I think so. Um, right. So, meaning it doesn't mean, like, again, it's similar with Yana, where like the fact that something appears in a piyut, if it contradicts other rabbinic sources, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's wrong. It may just be a relic of some other tradition. Um, okay. So, right, and now we get into the avoda section.
So does anybody have any thoughts about what just happened? No. What just happened? Um, I, mean, I, I think it's, it's really kind of interesting how it sort of it brings us down from like, you know, Amit's co right? Like God is sort of, who, who can even talk about how great God is, right? God made the world. God made it for us to enjoy. We screwed it up. And now, right, instead, right, it's almost like, well, it, we're planting all these things above about how God is making things, basically like made the world for us to eat it. But really, where we're actually going structurally is that God made the world for us to serve him with sacrifices, right? Which is sort of a different thing. Um, and then only as a reward do we get to eat all the stuff. Um, so I mean, I don't know. I feel like it's kind of, right, it's putting, it's placing the avoda as sort of like the turning point, right, of like from this comedy of errors, right, that the avot kind of start to, instead of a succession of errors, it's a succession of successes. Terrible. Um, not my intention to say it that way. Um, but like really that, the real culmination of that success is the avoda, right? So what's not here? There's no matantara. There's no Eretz Israel at all. Um, right, like, yeah, meaning the, Mish- the Mishkan happens in the desert even. Like, uh, all of that Jewish history might as well, like, not have happened, which is really interesting. In the, in the parallel version, the, par- or the parallel piyut, in Atakwananta, it's similar. It also starts with creation, which is also interesting, right? It suggests that there's a genre out there, right? It's not that this was, this was Meshulam and Columbus's idea to put creation at the beginning of the Avodah. It suggests that that was the genre out there, that other people were doing that, because I believe that people think Otakunanta is even older. But in Otakunanta, it does talk, at least, it does at least mention, right? Like, you may be nature all comfortable in their land, but then they sinned or something like that. Like, it's, it, it, there's something about that there, whereas here, it's almost like it's, it's a history, but it's not a history, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Right? Like in some ways, it's kind of taken out of time. Right? Like this whole idea of like, we slipped from Levi to Aaron to the Kohen Gadol by Cheney. Like, what? Right? <laughs> right? Like the entire... The artists were focusing you on where to watch people. Right. Because it makes you like, yeah, look twice. Right. And I think, but I think part of the point is that like, this is, it's a cosmic history. That's why I call it that. It's not like an actual history of like what happened. This is sort of like, in terms of like God's relationship to the world, what's really important? And the answer is like this, this sort of like holy sacrificial service, like sort of esoteric that we're going to discuss in detail. Um, like, and, and more generally, right, like the idea of kapara, the idea of like vidu and kapara, sort of that's, what, that's where we go with the reenactment, right? It's like confessing sins and having them expiated in the sort of like titaro process, right? Um, yeah, so I thought it might be useful or somewhat interesting just to talk about um, well I gave you the first chapter of Yoma I mean there are many things um, in Yoma I don't know if we should look at it all maybe like you can have it for your viewing pleasure in general they say that studying the Mishnayot of Yoma is a good way to understand the Avoda, which I'm sure is true. Um, right, but if you if you look at this, you'll see that a lot of these episodes that are in the Mishnah sort of appear chronologically in the Piyus. Um, right? Um, right. For even for example, like Mishnah two, we just have this line: Right. He does all of these sacrificial acts in order to get used to doing the sacrifices. Mishnah 2 says, by all seven days of sequestration, the high priest casts the blood and burns the incense and cleans the lamps and offers the head and the leg of the korban tamid. All other days, if he wants to, he offers, he offers. 
Uh, so that's sort of in general, not in Kippur, but it's saying right, they, they made him practice doing this stuff. And that appears here, right, right after the seven days. It's appearing in the order of the Mishnah, all the activities. Um, so maybe, maybe let's talk just about the, um, this sort of, um, right, this thing that the, sorry, the, um, the Vidui. First of all, what's the structure of the Vidui? The video appears three times, put it that way, right? Like we have this sort of thing where the Kohen Gadol confesses sins, right? And it's sort of, it's again in sort of a funnel, right? His own sins, his sins in his household, then the whole, all of Israel, right? The idea being that you have to sort of, right, who is he to confess the sins of other people if he hasn't done it for himself yet? Who is he to confess the sins of all of Israel if his own house is not clean, right? Um, which is sort of, I mean, it's an interesting like model of what sort of expanding circles of caring. It, it, there are, there are differing views on this in terms of like the real world, whether like, you know, you should, you probably have to fix yourself first, but like, do you have to fix your family first or can you fix the world also? Like, sort of an interesting question, but the model here seems to be, which is also, I mean, this model may not be like as practical as when we think about these questions, right? This model sort of like, you have to remove the spiritual taint from all things close to you before you can remove from things further away from you. Um, right, so what does he say? He says, Ana Hashem chatati aviti pashati lefanecha aniuveti which is an interesting translation, right? I have sinned in these different ways, um, right? As it is written, right? And just as he's, when he says Hashem, he says the shame of Rosh, and everybody bows down, and that's when we bow down, it's sort of like this very, like, evocative part of the service. Um, but this also, it's based on a Mishnah, it's not all in the Mishnah, but like, some of this language is really straight from the Mishnah, which you can see in Source 3. Um, right? Um, I just picked one, one time where this appears. Um, right, so he tells you about the position of his animal. Um, he put his hands on it and he said what? Mechachaya Omer. Right, so this is exactly what we have. Mechachaya Omer. Right, so this is clearly like the core of this piyut on some level, at least historically. Right, this is like old language. Ana Hashem, right, in the Mishnah says, Aviti Pashati Chatati Lepanecha Niuveti. Right? Ana Hashem, here it is. Kaperna Lavonor Vlapshaim Lachatim Shaviti Vishapatati Vishachatati Lepanecha Niuveti. Kakatu Vitorat Moshe Abdecha. Kivadim Azeya Kaper Lachem Tari Chem Mikolta Hotote Chem Lisne Hashem Tit Haru. Vahainanim Achara Varukshem Kvod Machotole Lamba. And then, as you know, he does the next thing. So ha- I just want to pr- compare for a second the way that episode is presented in the PU to the way it's presented in the Mishnah. Um, so we can be on page three, if you want, and on source three. How convenient. Mm-hmm. And it says Hashem both times instead of Vashem. Right. Right. So there's a few things, right? First of all, this order, which we're going to talk about, the order is different, right? Chatati, Aviti, Pashati is what we have, and we're sort of very used to that. We're here with Aviti, Pashati, Chatati, which is interesting. Where the Hashem, Vashem, I don't really have anything to say about. I'm sure there is things to say about it. What is not in the Mishnah? Right. We have in the Mishnah and in the PU we have this longer thing, right? 
והכהנים והעם העומדים באזהרה כשהיו שומעים את השם הנכבד והנורא מפורש שיוצא מפי כהן הגדול, right? When they heard, there's so, we're building up against so many people there, maybe like there's so many people in our adopting experience, right? When they heard this, they fell on their faces, um, and then they said, right? and that's when we fall on our faces. So already we see that like, even in the core of the PU, before you get to these sort of like highly esoteric and poetic add-ons, you even have some reworking of the mission material itself. Um, right, so in terms of this khatati abiti pashati abiti khatati pashati, or whatever situation, um, can anyone think offhand of any reasons why it would be in one order or the other? Here, I will write them down. Right. So, that's one. Right. So you can do it in either way. You guys, Baruch I don't know if you read it, but this is the this is the Gemara in Yoma 36b. Um, there's right. It could be either way. So why do you say it gets worse? What's the chait, or how are you understanding this? Which is the traditional understanding, right? The chait is generally understood as an accidental sin, right? That's why korban chatat. Korban chatat is not for like you murdered somebody in cold blood. Korban chatat, right? Like when they say like you're chayav chatat, it's because you did something by accident. Um, Avon is understood as what deliberate? Right, deliberate and pesha. I mean, this is I think, a little slippery. We'll see. In the Gemara, pesha is understood as like rebellious, not just deliberate. Not like I, I did that. I did the activity. Of, like this is sort of you would say like in legal jargon, it's almost like knowing and this is intentional. Not even this is like it's intentional for the actor. It's not intentional because it's a sin. Pesha is like you're doing it because it's a sin, not just because like. You want you like two burgers or whatever. Um, at least that's the way the Gemara understands it. Right. So one way of saying, right, the way that we have our text is chatati abiti pashati. Right. I did little things. Even I did things that were worse than that. Even I did actually really bad things. Right. Does that is that like intuitive to you that that's the order you should say it in? Yeah, kind of like one thing leads to another. You know, you start out kind of slow, but by accident, and then you sort of keep going, and it gets worse and worse. Right. Um, right. In terms of right, it makes sense in terms of like the Right. On the other hand, you can see kind of the opposite. Like, you know, if, if somebody, if the question is like, what did you do wrong? And you're like, well, one time I like knocked into the light switch on Shabbos. Like, is that really what's important to talk about when you've also done like other actually really bad things? Um, you know, like I can, I can kind of see it both ways. And that's why when no say avon right? It's the opposite order. And that's sort of something interesting to think about, right? Like, when we talk about it, we go from, from light to heavy. When we say, what does God do? He erases the heavy and then the light. Um, so that is interesting. Um, let's, let's look at source number four, if we can. Does somebody want to, um, somebody else want to read? Are you willing to read? 
English or Hebrew as you wish. Um, our rabbi taught how to commit confession. I have done wrong, I've transgressed, I've been familiar Right, which is aviti pashati bechatati, like we have in the Mishnah, but not in the Pesach. Okay. Similarly, in connection with the ego to be sent away, scripture says, and he shall confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions, even in their sins. Okay, right, so we're, we're sort of looking for biblical places where we have these three words and what order they come in. Right, so here's one option, right, we have these orders, this order. Okay, carry on. Similarly, with Moshe says, forgiving. Iniquity answers the question, and these are the words of Rameyer. Right, so this opinion is Rabbi Meir. This opinion, which we have in the Mishnah, apparently is actually Rabbi Meir's opinion. Stating that I say, wrongs are deliberate in seed. Thus also, does scripture say that soul shall be utterly cut off, his wrong shall be upon him. Transgressions are revised seeds, as it is said, the king of Moab has transgressed against me furthermore. Then did uh, leave not transgress at the same time. Sins are inadvertent omissions, as it is said, if anyone shall sin through error, should be then, after having confessed the deliberate deceit and the rebellious deceit, turn back and confess inadvertent omissions. Right, so this is kind of the intuition that we're talking about, right? That, like, it doesn't make sense. On some level, it does start make sense to start with the big one, but it also sort of, like, if you want to get them all out there, then, like, it's sort of weirdly anticlimactic to, like, you know, confess to whatever, I don't know, murder, God forbid, and then be like, oh, and I also bumped into the light on Shabbos once. Like, you know, not just is it psychologically easier to come out with the, the smaller ones first, but it's psychologically, it's strange to come out with the smaller ones afterwards. That's sort of more their approach. Okay. Rather thus did you make confession. I have sinned, I've done wrong, I've transgressed, I have said drugs. Thus also the scripture say, in connection with David, we have sinned with our fathers, we have done wrong, we have dealt with Right, it's interesting, there's sort of like a slipperiness here between Pashanu and Hirshanu, which they seem to be treating as the same thing. Okay. That's also uh, with Solomon, we have sinned, and in general, we've dealt wickedly. That's also with Daniel, we've sinned, and we've dealt wrong, and generally. What is the meaning then of uh, Moses saying, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin? Moses said before the Holy One, blessed be He, Lord of the universe, when Israel sins before thee and then do penance, account their premeditated sins as errors. Rabbah, Shmuel said in the name of God, the halacha is in accord with the Right, and then there's a whole discussion like, well, of course, Allah follows the sages. Why are you telling me this? And the answer is, well, you might think that like the pasuk from Moshe trumps all this other stuff, which is kind of interesting. Um, right. So we, what's the answer to why does Moshe say it in the opposite direction? If according to Chachamim, like the the light to heavy is the normative direction. Because God, if we do shuvah, God's going to treat the heavy ones. And light ones, so forgive us right. right, it's almost like some sort of a negotiation. It's like, okay, well, let's turn the heavy ones into light ones. I'm like, okay, well, now that we only have light ones left, like, they're not really such a big deal, right? Um, it's a similar idea to this idea we have of Ma'abir Rishon Rishon, right? That God, like, takes every sin 
as you know self-standing doesn't like weigh all the sins together kind of teach everyone and it's like well this one isn't so bad this one isn't so bad standing alone right? it's the same idea that like you can kind of what you're asking God to do is to change the perspective on what's there in order to minimize it in some way um, that like you can't God can't really not can't but like that the way that forgiveness happens is by some sort of like you know a little bit of a whitewash in some way um I think that's kind of interesting. I mean, so like, we, you know, our confession, this comes up also, by the way, in other situations, like confession before death, there's no same machloka, it's so like, or not same machloka, but like, the, there's, there's similar gears of differences as to which order you should say things. Um, right, but like, you know, our, our girsa is to say, to say them in the order of light is to heavy for whatever reasons that that sort of makes sense, but the idea of like, what's actually going on above is the opposite order. It, I think it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, and it's, it's similar to write these expanding circles of the Kohen Gadol, right? Like he first has to deal with his own self and his family, then all of Israel, it's the same kind of thing. Like first you, first you have to get sort of get rid of like the biggest strikes, and then you kind of you can work down from there. In some ways, it's the same. I feel like it's a similar idea of concentric circles, where like you're sort of you're chipping away at all of the stains on you until you can really receive kapara. Um, so. That is um, what I have to say about that. Yeah. No, okay. No, no, no. Finish. Please. No, you can say something. Oh, because I think the first one is addressing God saying, "Please, Hashem." You know, right. But the second one is, "Please, Hashem." In parentheses, with your name, with the Hashem, Hashem Kerachu Bechana Kaperna, Hashem Kaperna. Right. Anna Hashem, like by this name. Yes. Right. Yeah. With this Right. Um, right, and then the, right, the end section, which we're not going to look at, I guess, enough, but right, the end section, right, after the Kohen Gadol comes out, it says he used to make a Yom Tov for everybody, then that's sort of where, in the PU, we have this whole long thing about, you know, how every, everything is great and everybody is a awesome celebration section, and then it goes into Marek Kohen, which is, again, sort of like this, it's, right, again, it's sort of like you're situated in the Avoda of the Beit HaMikdash, and it's, it's sort of like the fulcrum of history, right? it's looking forward and backward. Like, we now are looking back at that as sort of like this amazing time, but we're also sort of like hoping, that's sort of like the kind of redemption that we're hoping for. Like, this, this Avoda is the fulcrum, right, where you get from like this cosmic history of like everything being set up for us, us messing it up, we can turn it around and then we can have celebration again. That's sort of the point of the Avoda, right, is like this, this turning around. Um, so I hope that that can help your paper a little bit, at the very least to sort of like see, you know, I think, whatever, I, I don't know if running through the feud the way I did is helpful, but you know, just to sort of see what it's built up, how it's made, um, how the structure is, I hope that that helped your mumbling. Um, and thank you guys for coming to this year, this was really great. Um, and I'm going to be teaching two classes in the fall, definitely. So I hope to see some of you there. I'm teaching, I guess if you want to talk more about them afterwards, you can. I'm teaching a class on um, laws and ideas of tzedakah, we'll call it, and of tzedakah, and, one, and sort of a partial new class about stories from Rishi. Um,
So, thanks. And Gamar Simatova to all.